Welcome back. Hi, friend. Today's episode, I have a co-host. My co-host today is Michelle Smith of Recovery is the New Black. Really happy to have her as my co-host today to get into a juicy conversation about recovery. Glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. My name is Lane Kennedy. I'm a calm coach, meditation, mindfulness practitioner, here to bring you practices and conversations about recovery and beyond. How do we stay calm and connected in today's world? Yeah, how do we do that? You're in the right place. So happy that you found me. Today's episode is being brought to you by the Connected Calm Life, my coaching course. Make sure to check that out. You can find out more information over at lanekennedy.com forward slash Okay, this is going to be a really good conversation. All right, we're going to go deep a little bit. I think there's some similarities, and I know you have a lot to share, right? I oh yeah, always. Okay, welcome back, Mama. So glad that you're with us and enjoying the show today. I am here with a beautiful woman coming in from Washington. Uh, She is the founder of Yeah Recovery is the New Black. She is a mother of two, uh, a boy and a girl. She is five years clean and sober. So she's got some, a good amount of time and experience. She works in the field of addiction. Yes. It's just hang on tight for this conversation. I think we're going to go deep. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I found you about maybe three years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And I have just watched you kind of blossom and build yourself through your experience. You're, I think you're one of the, the sober Instagrammers, but it's really been incredible for me to watch this section of sobriety come alive. And you're one of the first people that I saw exploring this online element. How has that been for you? Yeah. Tell me about it. It took my sobriety to the next level. You know, I really kept it under wraps and quiet for the first solid year just to get my footing and to confirm to myself and to the people in my life that this was for the long run. And I was so fearful of failing. Right. And, and really had to shift my mindset into the, there's nothing, there's no failure here. You know, there is failing forward. There is picking up lessons, but I only fail if I quit or if I just don't try. And so after the first year, I was like, okay, so this is becoming a thing for me. And this is a lifelong journey. And I know I can't be the only one struggling. So by the time I like started putting out little bits and pieces, the messages started rolling in and the comments and the me too's and the, where did you start? And how do I do this? And you're an inspiration. And it just kind of snowballed from there that You know, I really wanted to be that voice for women who hadn't found theirs yet or weren't ready to use theirs yet to let them know that they are so far from alone. That's one of the things I love so much about this online sobriety is that we are able to reach so many more ladies, so many more mothers, so many more people who are struggling quietly in their houses alone. When let's go back. Let's go back for a minute because I want to hear this. What kind of drinker are you or what kind of, what's your drug of choice or what are you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because towards the end, I would have said, what do you got? You know, <laughs> what do you have? You know, I'll take whatever, 
but before it would have been top shelf, top shelf, you know, really good wine, really good, you know, top shelf alcohol, the whole Cosmo sex in the city kind of glitz and glamour. I like to say of socialized drinking. That's where I started. And that was my hope to remain in that place, which ended up being grocery stores, gas station stops, chugging, oh, hiding, yeah. all the things. Your kids are nine and 12. So your kids saw you drinking and using. They did. They yeah. did, especially my older one. My mm -hmm. younger one only remembers a few things, clearly the bad things. So yes, they did get to experience some of that. Were they a part of you or that decision-making process of putting down? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was one of those things that it was always coming back to them. And it's like, I love them the most. And you think that I'd want to put it down for them. And I still loved my alcohol and drugs, you know, and clearly it was like, I loved, I loved it more. And that would tear at my heartstrings because I'm like, I waited so long for this day these human beings I brought into this earth and I love them unconditionally. And there's this other thing that I love just as much or a little bit more. And it, it broke my heart. And so it kept bringing me back to my, why I'm doing this in my sobriety journey. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, it, it couldn't keep me sober, but it was my motivation to show up. And I think the thing that really stuck out for me is that I lost my parents and so I know what it's like to not have a mom or dad. And I was doing that same thing to my children. And I, I felt the pain. I knew what that was like. And so every time that I would find myself relapsing, I would bring myself back and find the strength within my own story to know that I can change the outcome and the trajectory of what their childhood looks like. Yeah. I, I think about that all the time, like stopping addiction and the family dynamic and, mm -hmm. and the change that it makes. And it not only changes, you know, my son or your son and your daughter, but then it also affects the people that they touch their relationships in school with their teachers, how they interact in the world. And it's so, it's so powerful to think about when we stop drinking the domino effect. Yes. You don't realize it. No, you don't, don't realize, realize it. People think, you know, this is not a spectator sport. Everyone involved has to play whether or not they're educated, they want to, or they like to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing that you had that, like, I love them, but I'm still drinking, right? You hear that, that fight. And then you just, did you just put it down? Did you have an inter intervention? What was your come to so Jesus good. moment? You know, there were so many, so many. And, you know, it's conversations with my husband. It was not one, two, three, but four hospital stays for fatal alcohol poisoning. You know, you'd think that that would be the moment I'd surrender. Went to inpatient treatment. That was supposed to work. If that doesn't work, what happens then? I relapsed 30 days after. And, you know, honestly, it did come back to, I can't do this to my kids. And it was that last hospital stay that I had and second child protective services investigation. And I just said, you know, it's like, you just keep going until that moment or that miracle. And it was just that moment in the hospital. I just surrendered. I just, I, I, 
I had this mindset shift that I am a person who can't drink normally. And that left endless possibilities of things that I could do. And I got off the hamster wheel. It was too exhausting. And I just had to say to myself, I am a person who can't drink and I am going to learn to be okay with that. And my whole world just changed. You know, I saw all these relapses because I keep record of my sobriety dates and I always just saw a failure. And when I started looking at that as I'm a person who doesn't give up, that's what this is about. And if I keep going, I know I'm going to be successful. And so the length of sobriety that I would maintain, I would see successes because I was putting distance between me and my thing. And it was showing me I can have fun. I can still keep friendships. I'm starting to build confidence. My face is starting to look clearer. I'm not missing work anymore. And so all the beautiful gifts of sobriety started to unfold, which really kept me motivated to keep moving forward. I love that you bring up this, <clears throat> excuse me, this concept of picking up after you stop. And often so many people just give up. So yeah. many women, they give up and they don't keep going. I didn't know when I got sober, I didn't know that you could relapse. I didn't know that that was an option. Nobody ever said or showed me that that could happen. And so when I stopped, I just stopped. And then about, I think it was like six months into my journey, the girl that I was kind of running with, you know, she drank again. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? Like I didn't even, I had no concept of it. And then she never came back you know, and I, and I remember a woman saying, you know, we're not in control of this disease. You need to stay. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, but I love when I meet people that have these stories of staying regardless that it, it's like a muscle, like it's, I'm going to, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to change my family. I'm going to be a different mother. I, I just, I love, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm sure that a lot of mothers can relate to that, yeah. especially right now in this pandemic, holy bejesus. It's, I mean, we're living through a time that we just have never lived through. Have you seen an increase in the work that you do? with and alcohol and drug abuse and use? Absolutely. The highest levels I've ever seen in my area. And I know it's true nationally is detox treatment programs, residential programs, hospitals, and our crisis lines. Everything is so inundated. The behavioral health system, it's, you know, and a lot of it is alcohol use disorder, a lot of it, you know, and I know that that's an, it's an accessible thing and it's convenient and no one's going to bat an eye. And so it has been really hard, you know, it's already really hard. There's so many barriers to trying to get support, you know, it's like, you know, insurance denials and people don't have the financial freedom or the, the means to be able to get the treatment that they need. And that has already been a huge thing for, for a really long time. And then to add on this and the shortage, when people are ready, you want to capture them right when they're right where they're at and just say, okay, let's go, let's do this. You know, that's how usually inpatient treatment works. It's like, you don't have time to pack bags. Let's just go. If you say yes, that means 
we're, we're going. <laughs> and so it's, it has just been, it's been a beautiful thing to see a lot of new programs and resources and treatment options open up for people in lieu of how hard it is to get into some of the traditional programs. And even my home group and some of the 12 steps, it's just, it's been beautiful to see so many newcomers coming through and coming back, which has been really, really. You just brought up this really fascinating, interesting idea of all these new programs, all these new pathways, all these new ways that we can find recovery. I'm like blown away because when, again, I just, my experience is it, it was one way or you're not surviving. And so to see, what is it? Sober sis, curious AF, the sober girl, all of these, the luckiest, like all of these groups coming together to really promote the sober lifestyle. Yep, It's a lifestyle that is worth living and can be done. Absolutely. So when are you, are you encouraging people to find these other resources or are you very traditional? Both. Honestly, it depends on the woman and where she's at. You know, I, I speak a lot about there's the whole now, but it's becoming more, I don't even want to say trendy or popular. It's becoming more safe. More people are feeling comfortable to say, I think I might have a problem with alcohol. So you have this sober curious people who don't have to wait to hit this spectrum of rock bottom, blackout, alcoholism, like me, right? It's like, I kept myself so hidden and in secrecy that it kept me sick where I didn't think that there was anything or know of anything available to me until I got bad enough. And eventually with a progressive disease, you, I got bad enough where at first, when I walked into the rooms, I didn't find the similarities because I was too focused on the differences because I'm not going to become that, right? I'm so much better. I'm going to beat this system and I'm going to find a way to moderate and I'm going to be able to regulate my drinking like I did before. Well, that didn't work. And so, you know, I really feel that this new movement is allowing people the opportunity to stop and really take an honest look at wherever they're at with their problematic drinking or recreational using and to say, is this adding value? Is this making me feel better? Is it costing me more than it's providing me? And getting curious about that before you have to get to this place of complete dependence and you know you need to stop, but you can't, right? Like you, you're so far in that you feel like you're almost drowning. Like it's this quicksand of, I know that this is not adding value, but I'm so chemically dependent and I've lost so much that I feel like I might as well just keep going at this point. So for me, it's like meeting them where they're at. And if they're open to the idea of a program or 12 step program, great. Here are some options. If you're not there and you're this, I don't know what I want to do yet. I'm going to give you some podcasts. I'm going to give you a book to read. I'm going to give you some groups to be a fly on the wall and you get to see for yourself that you're not alone and that we are normal human beings that are professionals that look just like the average person in our community and they can make their decision. So I'm very much 
client centered or, you know, sober sister centered, you let me know what you're like, what you're not wanting, what your rejections and barriers are. If you're completely open, I'm going to give you a smorgasbord of ideas and you decide patchwork to recovery. You know, if you want to do something traditional, great. If you want to try a different route, great. You know, it's refreshing to hear this. I'm very traditional. I got sober a long time ago. And so when I hear this kind of new conversation come about, it just, it warms my heart because for so long I struggled with staying in the closet, so to speak about recovery, because recovery is so magical. And as a part of a 12 step community, sometimes I struggle with it being a disservice to so many people. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of came out of the closet, so to speak. And I do the work that I do now on a larger scale and to have so many people sharing about this life of recovery is it just, it fills my heart like nothing else. It brings me so much joy and there's no, what's the word I want to use. There's no, like that's better or the way that they're doing it is great. There's a sense of community within all of us. I have felt except for one person, which I will not name. They kind of bash others, but for the most part, I feel like we are all really about what's going to work for you. Like what you just said. And it's, it just makes me so happy. And the, again, I just, I keep going back to the community and the friendliness because it's not, it's not that we're up against each other. We're up against big alcohol. We're up against the messaging that is killing people. Do you know, chase the vase Brock? He's a retired. Yeah. He just did an episode on fentanyl. Oh, oh, it, it just like, it sent chills through me, you know, because fentanyl is this no, like people don't even know about it, but the media says, you know, get your Narcan, get your strips to check fentanyl. But it's like, why don't we say, why don't you check out recovery? You know, like, why don't we go towards recovery? So with you, what is your message around recovery? That it is a lifelong journey that, you know, a lot of people think that they can quickly get sober and that they're magically going to be better. Like it's this magical unicorn thing. And it's like, you can take away the bottle, but you need to do the work and you might be sober, but you're not in recovery, you know? And I think that it's a great example of like the pandemic of, you know, it was high, highly like desirable to start drinking or to drink excessively And it was a great time for some people to say, I want to try out sobriety because I'm not going to be peer pressured, or I'm not going to have to make up an excuse for why I'm not drinking. Well, people like you and I who are in recovery and working some type of program, it was, it was hard. It was hard too. And it was hard in a different way because my home group wasn't open. My therapist wasn't open. My gym wasn't open. I couldn't see my friends in in, in my recovery circle and network. So things were really shaken up for me. And I didn't even think about that. You know, it's like, well, you've been in, you've been in recovery. You're solid. No, I have 24, just like everybody else does every single morning. And I have to work hard to maintain that too. And so it's, it's very, it's very desirable that my addiction is just like, 
things are different. It's going to be different. Just try it. It's been five years. No, I have the choice to say no. Other than that, I give over my choice and my power to alcohol and to other things. I've been down that road too many times. And so it's, you know, I have to remember that this is, it's not a death sentence. I get to wake up every morning and see the sunrise and enjoy a cup of coffee. Like that is a beauty. And I think that some people just get so baffled when I say that because they didn't hit an all-time low. They don't understand when they're in early sobriety. I don't get these gifts. I don't get why you think it's that exciting to wake up and enjoy coffee. Well, try, try living the life that I had and you don't wake up till noon and your husband's upset with you. Your kids are not talking to you. You are barfing, laying in your own barf. Like it's pretty cool to wake up with no regret and no shame and have your husband be proud of you and love you and fall in love with you again. That's pretty incredible. So, you know, that would be my, my way of really defining that is that, you know, you, and you can't look at early sobriety and it's, it's not even a comparison with what long-term recovery is going to look like. And that's what kept me relapsing was I'm like, I don't want any part of this. This is hard work. My friends won't talk to me. You know, I feel sick and I don't want to have to identify myself as anything. And I just kept on the hamster wheel and so grateful to be off of it. (laughs) Yeah. You, You mentioned, I just want to jump into your relationship because I think relationships, the longer that we're sober, the more challenging they become because we begin to find who we find out who we are truly. And a lot of times relationships crumble as a result of that. And I just heard you say your honey fell in love with you again. That's so magical. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, it's such a, it's, it's really hard. Is he sober as well or no? No. Yes. Now, yes. Yep. Okay. The first three years was my thing and he was going to support me. And so we had boundaries and rules and all of that and never a big drinker at all. So May of two years ago. So he is, geez, almost two and a half years and just decided that he didn't need it either. It was not adding value to his life and he wanted to continue to level up and support me. And it's, it's great. That's really nice to hear. It's really, it's hopeful yeah. to hear because that's not always how it is. It's not. Yeah. In my early recovery, I thought I was with somebody and I was going to be with them for the rest of my life. Five years into it, we crashed and burned. Right. And then I was single for many, many, many years. And then I found another one. <clears throat> oh, this is it, you know, and crash yeah. and burn. And I think the relationships that we have in sobriety are so rich and vulnerable and real. How are your relationships changed with your kiddo? Well, relationships in general have so much more substance. It's, we actually have meaningful conversations, even with my kids, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm goofy and I'm, you know, intoxicated and let's just do random things that I would never do sober. It's like, we have real authentic conversations and they're my biggest cheerleaders. They they are just proud of their sober mama. And they tell everybody that I am a sober mom. (laughs) And so that is, it's super cute. And so we're kind of like, I've had to reel them in a little bit lately because if their parents not sober, they're like, well, that's not good. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So they, we've had to do a little bit more education about, you know, that it is, 
is okay for a lot of people and not everybody has a problematic relationship with it. And so we just need to be respectful, but these are the things to look out for in order to make sure that you're safe. But yeah, conversations, you know, like my 12 year old, just middle school, the pandemic, if I wouldn't have been, if I'm not sober, I wouldn't be present in a safe place for them to land, to have really honest, authentic conversations. This is vulnerable. This is like their most vulnerable time. I need to be here to just listen and I don't have to fix it, but I can validate them and I can empathize with them. They just want me to be present and they deserve that. And our relationships have grown tremendously with just honesty and vulnerability. And I get to sprinkle in these little messages of hope that someday they will realize the impact that this had And I get to share more of my story when they start to explore with any type of recreational drug or alcohol that they're going to make their own story and their own journey. But I want them to know where I've been and that I am going to, I'm living a life that I'm not going to say, don't drink and drive and then go do it. You know, I am showing them sobriety and I am showing them the perfect example of how I hope that they continue to live that life. And if they explore, that's fine. But I, I, I am going to keep this conversation open about all types of mental health, substance abuse, you know, because they're important conversations to have. So I'm so grateful that I'm sober to be able to have them and guide them and truly be honest with my integrity, knowing that I'm not just saying and then doing the opposite. And they see that. And during this pandemic, you know, with that amount of time that you have, mm-hmm. you mentioned that it's become more challenging. Yes. And so through this time, what have you had to do to find that peace that you would typically find with your girlfriends or when you would jump into your home group? Yes. Great question. A lot of different things. One big piece that was helpful in regards to establishing, you know, that kind of home group feel was virtually getting on the meetings. That was really helpful of, you know, not having that in-person connection, which is not replaceable, but finding other ways to still connect with my sober community. So doing my home groups virtually starting up the sober mom squad of finding these moms who were struggling with work, sobriety, homeschool, pandemic, children, all of the things, and really diving into service work. I did a lot of outreach. I did a lot of crisis hotline work. That was that piece of it. I'm really working on the perfectionism and the people pleasing that really provided me some buffer to not have to have my house ready because no one was coming over. So that gave me more time to declutter. It gave me more time to be authentic with my kids and to just build forts, make root beer floats, build Legos and not have to put them away. You know, it gave me so much more of me back and really establishing. I kind of felt like I was getting time back with them that I had lost by not being physically or emotionally present for those years I was drinking and nothing will ever replace that, but it did allow me to slow down and get back some of those really important family traditions. Being outside, you know, I with nature, we have seven acres and it was just, I didn't do that. So that was like very healing for me to sit out with my, a book on my hammock Mm -hmm. and just 
sit there and just be still with myself instead of trying to drink away the noise and the chatter in my, just sit with it. It's not going to hurt me. Right. It just, it comes and it goes, it, it feels awful and it feels like it's going to last forever. And then it's like, Oh, distraction. There goes a bird or a plane or that thought. And I just kept going, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you fill your mind with other things that instead of just saying, I don't have access to this and this is the worst thing ever. Okay. This is a place and a life and if a season of life right now that is very unfamiliar during this whole pandemic. So where can I find familiarity? If I feel uneasy, where can I find ease and the stability of my family and my sobriety and my partner and my higher power and my sober sister community? I can't play martyr and I can't play victim. It served me and it doesn't support my sobriety and my long-term recovery. So I really have to challenge that negative thought. I have to challenge that martyr when it strikes because it does. Mm -hmm. I have to be ready to attack. It's there waiting. Always. (laughs) It's always there waiting. What does your spiritual practice look like? I do a lot of different things, actually. I go to church. I'm a Catholic. So I do that piece. And, you know, I'm working actually with a spiritual coach right now, trying to find just more high vibes and frequency of being true to me and showing up as truly me and not who the world tells me that I'm supposed to be, or my mom's voice telling me who I'm supposed to be. I've gotten back into yoga. So many little, kind of like my recovery, it's like little bits and pieces of what makes me me and really just reinventing who that's supposed to be. Like, cause I was told, you know, growing up, this is what you're supposed to do. And these are your core beliefs. And I get to kind of challenge some of that, but is that really where I want to be? Is that really where I'm at in my life right now? And just exploring different, different ways, seeing what works. And if it doesn't work, keep going, keep going, keep trying new things. That's yeah. really great. And that's the beauty of recovery is that you get to just try and taste and test and move about as long as you don't pick up, right? You just, you can continue the search and yeah. to seek what's on your nightstand, right? Now. Ooh, Atomic Habits for the second mm-hmm. time. I love that book. <laughs> and then what else is that? I don't think I have anything else on my nightstand. I'm rearranging my office. So my big books up there, I do need to reread that again. But yeah, Atomic Habits is what's on there right now. And what do you do for fun? Ooh, good question. Service work. <laughs> Service work. I do find it fun. What is fun about it? Like what, what's the element of fun that you find? Because see, for me, for fun, I'm like thinking about riding bicycles and, you know, letting balloons go in this. Both of those, which is so funny. I just lost a whole bunch of balloons that I'd gotten at Party City. And I was running for my son's <laughs> birthday. So I- oh called crying, asking if they'd redo them because they're so expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But service work is fun. What's fun about that is just seeing somebody's light, their eyes light up. Mm -hmm. Just like you care. Yeah. You, you struggle. Like I can get better. Like, thank you for this meal. Thank you for this Narcan. Thank you for just listening to my story without judgment. Like that is just powerful, but it can't be what only fills me up. And so my kids started go-karting which is awesome to watch that terrifying at the same time. I'm a gardener. I love to cook. Sobriety has given me back that ability to keep my hands busy, make something. We harvest it from our garden, watch it from scratch all the way to our dinner table, which is amazing. I got a sober companion as a buddy. I got my first puppy. I have never had an animal in my entire life. 
And I'm telling you, I don't know why I waited so long. Best thing for sobriety, depression, companionship. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amazing. So, you know, I'm a sports mom. I'm always there, but I just, I'm always learning. I'll always be a student and I'm guided to the wisdom of my elders and they don't have to be a lot older, but it's just like, it's such a humbling thing to know that they've been through life and just to really listen and absorb, digest, and try to implement some of these practices that people, women that have gone before me, it's incredible. You know, you think, you know, everything, just like our kids are like, you don't know anything. Like, you know, you haven't been 12 in a pandemic and it's just like, okay, you're right. I haven't, I haven't, but I've experienced what it's like to lose friendships and to feel bullied and to not feel worthy. And, you know, these filters and all those things that there are these days that we have to talk about, but anything and everything I can find joy. in. I just swam with the dolphins, which was a huge thing for me. I'm going to be jumping out of a plane, crazy, just things that I've always wanted to do, but could never do because I wasn't sober or (laughs) it was unsafe. So just wild, fun, exciting things outdoors, really like being outdoors. Yeah. Really great for the spirit. Great for the mind recalculates the brain. Amazing. Michelle, where can our guest find you and the amazing work that you are doing? Your sobriety is so rich. And I just, I could talk all day because you have so much going on, but we are at that time. So where can they find you? I, my website is recovery is the new black. You can find me on Facebook recovery is new black, which I have a private Facebook group for women only too. So if you're curious and active recovery contemplating, it's a safe, amazing group of women. I absolutely love it. Amazing. Michelle, thank you so much for being a woman in recovery and being a mother in recovery. Thank you. And thank you as well for all that you do. Thanks mama. May you find something light, something juicy and something so delicious. It fills you up so you can be the best mother. I know you can be until next time. Take good care. Thanks for listening to that episode with my co-host, Michelle. Every week I have a different co-host. Hope you'll come back again next week. Make sure to rate, review the show over on iTunes. I know it's a big ask, but please, it always helps, helps people find the show who need it, right? Also, drop a line, say hi. Let me know what's going on in your world. All right, I'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening.